Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. This is WSBT's Community Update on 96.1 WSBT. Good morning, I'm John Hoffman. We start with an update on the fight against the coronavirus locally. Dr. Mark Fox, Deputy Health Officer for St. Joseph County, spoke with Leanne Tokars on WSBT 22's First in the Morning this past week. Worst case rates in Indiana are along the Michigan border. St. Joseph County is not part of that. And last week you mentioned that you saw signs of plateauing. Are we still seeing signs that we're headed in the right direction? We are, actually. Our seven-day average of cases has dropped from about 105 three weeks ago to 75 cases a day. Still too high, clearly, but um, headed in the right direction, which is good news for us. How is this battle going against vaccine hesitancy? We had a private clinic last week that only saw 75 people show up for the Johnson & Johnson shot. To what do you attribute that? Yeah, that was really disappointing, and I'm not sure... You know, I'm sure part of it was outreach or marketing for that event. I didn't even know about it until the day of the event. Um, But I also am concerned that it reflects some hesitancy specifically around Johnson & Johnson. Um, You know, again, it's phenomenal that we have three really effective and safe vaccines available. But if if people say, yeah, I'd rather do Pfizer or Moderna, I I wouldn't argue with them. and, And I understand that position as well. Are people getting the Pfizer and Moderna shots? Are we seeing... That's slowed down, too. I mean, we're still vaccinating, you know, a fair number of people every week in St. Joseph County, but it's dropped off from our peak. And so I feel like we've captured the low-hanging fruit. The people who are really eager to get vaccinated have all had their chance. And so we've got to work a little harder to reach kind of that next tier of people. And you had mentioned possibly going to churches or places of work or zip codes where people are not getting vaccinated. Have you made a decision on that yet? We're still working with a variety of different community partners because each of those communities poses really different challenges, both in terms of uh, location and who the right partners are to help get the message out to the the people we want to reach. I wanted to ask you, under Michigan's new reopening plan, 70% of people there must be vaccinated in order to lift the mask mandate. I know you're not the health officer there, but is that a realistic goal, 70%? Well, it's a rational goal because we feel like that constitutes herd immunity. That's kind of been our premise here in St. Joseph County. But herd immunity can be achieved through vaccination and through natural infection. And the challenge is, We aren't entirely sure how long immunity from natural infection lasts. It's at least three months. So if you take the combination of people infected in the last three months and people vaccinated, and if 70% of the community falls into those buckets, then you've ostensibly achieved herd immunity. We're trying to do that analysis in St. Joseph County, looking at recent infections, figure out who of them have been immunized and, and who has been immunized but has not had the infection to figure out what proportion we've achieved in St. Joseph County. It's a tough estimate to come up with, actually. And at this point, when do you think we'll reach that? 
you know, we were on a really good pace to reach it this summer with the rate we'd had over the la most of the last month. Now with this plateauing, it's going to be a challenge until we open up vaccine eligibility, hopefully to, for instance, 12 to 15-year-olds here in the very near future, knock on whatever substance this is. Yeah, we, we do expect that sometime this month for the FDA and CDC to give that approval. Um, based on what you have heard at this point, is there any reason to believe that might not happen? No, all indications are, uh, I mean, it could be as early as this week, um, but certainly within the next couple of weeks, we anticipate having a vaccine authorized for 12 to 15 year olds. And what advice would you give to parents if that happens? Well, it's challenging because the vaccine isn't available yet in most local doctor's offices. So it's ju we're just starting to make that transition. So retail pharmacies, St. Hedwig's, and, and you know the established sites in town should be able to accommodate it. But 12 to 15-year-olds are a tricky population because we need parental consent. Ideally, the parent would be there with their child. They aren't driving yet, so presumably some adult is bringing them. We hope that it will be a parent with them who not only is given consent on the computer, but can give it in person as well. How has the turnout been for 16 and 17 year olds who need that parental consent? Again, it's been challenging in certain settings because that's a group that can drive. They can present themselves to a vaccine clinic. So it's been difficult to navigate that in, in some instances, but by and large, it's gone very smoothly. I wanted to talk to you about India. It's such a dire situation there. Do you have any concern about the variants coming out of the ex explosion of cases? Yeah, the explosion of cases really sets up a dangerous environment for propagating variants and even the emergence of new variants. So the travel restriction, I think, unfortunately, is important because we want to contain that as best we can. But it's really a devastating situation in India right now. And right now with those variants, do we know that the vaccines protect against those? About 80% of the cases in India have been attributed to the UK variant, the B117. But there are several different uh, India variants that have emerged as well. I haven't seen any data about the vaccine uh, effect against those new variants. Deputy Health Officer Dr. Mark Fox on WSBT 22's First in the Morning. The Food and Drug Administration is pushing to ban menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars in the next year. A local smoke shop owner talks about what this ban could mean locally. It's clear after talking to these two that menthol cigarettes especially are very popular. And after the other bans on flavored tobacco products in the past several years, they say this was likely to happen. Menthol is the last flavor left in cigarettes. A menthol was tobacco educator Sandy Pontius's first cigarette, and she says they're easy to get addicted to, especially for young people. Menthol uh, is a cooling, smoothing sensation. You know, the flavor gives that cooling sensation, and so it makes the tobacco less harsh. The CDC says more than 85% of black smokers smoke menthols. Communities of color and low-income populations are also more likely to use the product. Pontius says banning menthol cigarettes can prevent addiction in some of these populations. It's not a target against people. It's, it's for them. It's to narrow the health disparities, to help, you know, everyone be healthier. Elkhart smoke shop owner Mike Cannon says menthols make up about 40% of his cigarette sales. He's been in the business for over 30 years, and he says menthol smokers only smoke menthols. 
Once you're used to the flavor, he says it's hard to switch to regular cigarettes. This proposed ban has pushed some of his customers to quit or try to stock up. We've had some of these customers that walked in and be like, I can't believe they're going to do this. Can I buy more? Can I get a carton or something, you know? But they say it's going to be at least a few years before these are off the shelves. As for the proposed ban on flavored cigars, Cannon says it could actually be a good thing. Flavors doesn't mean for as a business owner, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean if there's a lot of flavors I'm gaining business. It's the same business just being spread out over so many items. WSBT 22's Erica Finke reporting. More than half of all property owners in St. Joseph County are likely having sticker shock. The St. Joseph County Assessor's Office mailed 2021 assessments last week. According to the Assessor's Office, 2021 assessed values for 62% of properties in the county went up. Portage Township had the most parcels in the county increase in value. Penn Township is second on the list, but even if you don't live in those areas, your property could have increased as well. That means in 2022, you'll see your tax bill from the treasurer's office go up. You can appeal your assessment. Beth Sweeta owns correct property tax. She used to work in the St. Joseph County Assessor's Office. Now she helps people save money on their property taxes. Sweeta says the first thing you should do is check the accuracy of your assessment card. You can do this online. You want to make sure the information about your property is correct. Second, you should file an appeal right away. She says for many homeowners, it's just a matter of submitting sales data from your neighborhood. For others, they might need to take pictures and submit estimates from contractors as evidence. Sweeta says assessed values in transitional neighborhoods saw a lot of increases because many people upgraded their homes over the past year. If you're not one of those people, you don't want to compare your house to some other house that has been updated and then sold. You really need to be very um, strategic about us, you know, using sales that are as close to your home in condition and um, quality of construction but also size and number of amenities as well. Now those appeals are due on June 15th. After it's filed, then you can start to gather the evidence you need. That's what Sweeta does for her clients, and she helps them navigate the process. The assessor's office usually receives thousands of appeals. Once they get yours, they'll reach out to ask some questions. The assessor could agree or disagree with your appeal. If they end up disagreeing, it could make its way to an appeals hearing and court. WSBT 22's Kristen Bean reporting. Home builders and others see a growing issue across the country and one that's hitting home around here as well. Lumber costs have skyrocketed over the past year. That's creating problems for local companies and potential homeowners. This could mean trouble for the housing market because as lumber prices increase, the demand for houses might fall with it. It was assumed that there was going to be a big slowdown in the economy, particularly in sectors such as housing. Well, the reverse really happened in the housing industry and, and there became a lot of pent up demand. People got the itch to not only improve their existing home, but to buy and build new homes. The coronavirus pandemic caused many industries to shut down, but the housing market has continued booming. The only problem with that, demand for lumber increased and companies had no way to keep up. A lot of walk-in customers are starting to say I'm going to slow down or I'm just going to put my project off till next year when the prices go down. This is being felt at the local level too. Customers have slowly started to put off or delay their home improvement projects. The 
lumber industry is very slow to react to being able to meet that demand and, and still being uh, very slow to react. It's going to cause a big slowdown in housing and remodeling and, and you know, do-it-yourself projects because people are not going to continue to be able to spend $8 for a 2 by 4 stud that was $2 a year ago. Lumber prices have gone up nearly 250% over the last year. And that might continue until something changes. I believe it's going to stay this way for a while until people finally say, I'm done spending money. If we don't get the supply caught up, it's going to slow down because we can't meet the demand. Schwinghammer added that he's already starting to see a decrease in demand as people are stopping with those home projects. How long this will be a problem nationwide and right here in Michiana is unknown. WSBT 22's Miles Garrett reporting. South Bend's Four Winds Casino is one step closer to offering table games. Governor Eric Holcomb was in town Tuesday to make the agreement official. This request dates from August of 2019. The Pokagon Band of Potawatomi Indians submitted the request to Governor Holcomb to offer Class 3 gaming activities here. And after no negotiations, legislative approval, the governor's signature, just one more step is needed before you can play a lot more table games here. Right now, Four Winds Casino in South Bend is a Class 2 casino. That means it can offer electronic slot games, and the only live table games it can offer is poker against other opponents. But that's expected to soon change. With Class 3 approval, the South Bend Casino would be authorized to add games like blackjack, poker, roulette, craps, and dice. Governor Holcomb, casino and tribal leaders gathered for a ceremonial signing today. Pokagon Band of Potawatomi Indians Tribal Council Chairman Matthew Wiesaw says a key component of the compact is the creation of a $1 million Pokagon Indiana Trust Fund. This will allow for any Pokagon citizen to attend state-funded institutions of higher education, including two- and four-year colleges, plus trade and vocational schools with all expenses covered. The compact says the total number of games allowed to be operated at the casino is about 3,400. The move would also allow sports wagering and paid fantasy sports games if the bet is placed while the gambler is physically present at the casino. But you can't bet on live or simulcast horse or dog racing. Under the agreement, each year, the Pokagon Band will pay Indiana 8% of the casino's net win. That money will go toward education, economic and workforce development, tourism, and public health. Governor Holcomb says the compact shows the importance of Indiana's relationship with the band's government, and the local economy will see positive impacts. That certainty and stability and predictability and continuity, this is going to set us sail for decades to come. It's not just about gaming. Obviously, gaming is the economic engine that allows us to do a lot of our stuff, but their focus really is on what can we do to help improve the quality of life of our citizens and make our communities better. The compact now needs approval from the U.S. Department of the Interior, and Wiesaw says that could take about 45 days, and he hopes that soon after that the equipment will be ready for players. WSBT 22's Caroline Torrey reporting. The views expressed on WSBT's community update are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the host, WSBT Radio, its staff or management. Join us again next week on Community Updates on The Sports Leader, 96.1 WSBT. 
Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 